covering on up here just to be as safe as possible. Um, if there's something you, don't under, you can't hear or don't understand, let me know and I'll try to my best to remember what I said and we'll repeat it. We're quickly coming to the end of this study, this general overview of the Bible, Brother Roger Campbell's book. And uh, I've got two extra copies here if someone needs one. Just raise your hand, we'll be happy to let you borrow that. We're going to be on page 67 tonight. Lesson number 12. How can a lost person be saved? But before we launch into that study tonight, I want to back up just briefly. I'm not going to reteach what we talk, talked about last week in context of the church. But I want to draw your attention and make a few comments about um, question number 13, back at the bottom of page 66. The question said or asked, would you want to be a member of a quote-unquote church that you cannot read about in the Bible? Why or why not? You know, I've made mention before, one of my favorite preachers, I've got several favorites, I won't name all of them, but one of them is John Shannon Sr. He's a preacher out in, in the Memphis area. And I like to listen to him for his practical way of preaching, his simple truth from the Bible. And he asked this question a lot to his audience. He has a television program there, and it's also, you can find it on GBN, and it's also on YouTube. You can find him on YouTube. But he says, Your congregation, whatever name it wears, denominational name, may be old, ancient, and honorable, but if you can't find it in the New Testament, you need to come out of it. Now, people might hear that and say, well, that's awful mean. That's awful narrow-minded. But I would remind us that it matters. It matters what body you're associated with. It matters in those things. It matters eternally. And I hope that you found or saw from this study of these lessons over the course of several months that we have to use God's Word as our source. We have to use God's Word as our authority in all matters religious, all matters spiritual. That, again, some people would say narrow-minded, some people might say legalistic, ultra-conservative. All those terms, those adjectives that people like to associate with that type of thinking. We can, do, we can teach those things. We have to teach them with love. We have to teach them with respect. But they have to be taught. And I don't make any excuses for saying that because it's that serious of a matter. You know, last week we were talking about the body of Christ, the church, the kingdom, all those terms that are used synonymously. Many people in our world today would say it doesn't matter. But the Bible says that it does. You have to read to learn. As we begin our lesson tonight, I'm going to leave that there. And you, If you've got other thoughts or you want to discuss that further, I'll be happy to do that. But I just wanted to point that question out to you. Charles, yes, sir. That the Bible is the only example we've got talking about the local church. You can't find another church mentioned in there. It's, it's Jesus' church. Right. As Bob points out, in the Bible, you can't find any example of any other church other than the church that Christ died to, to establish. The church that was established there in the first century on the day of Pentecost after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Okay, and we talk about, you know, if you walked up to somebody, if you were able to go back to the first century and you walked up to somebody on the street and, they, and you asked them, what church do you go to? They'd look at you like you had two or three heads probably. Because there was only one back then. 
And it was several hundred years later that when things started to split and to go astray because men thought they had a better idea. I'll continue to say it because I believe it, that God's, the church that Christ built is perfect in its form, its, its function, its purpose. It's made up of imperfect people. But the church is perfect. Right. The New Testament is our authority. We have to continue to search and make sure we're, we're following the pattern that's laid out there. Got to be, we got we to take God's word and do the best we can with it. You know, if you've been tuning in to our Sunday morning Bible class about Genesis, you know the specific, we just, we just talked this past week about Noah's Ark. God didn't just say, Noah, go build this big boat. Do it however you want to do it. Did he? He gave specific instructions about the size the material, how many windows, how many floors, how many doors, how many decks, all that stuff. Pretty specific, wasn't he? And he, that's the way, that's God's nature. When it comes to worship, God doesn't just say, do whatever you want to do and call it worship, and you have, if you have a sincere heart, I'm going to accept it. Noah had a blueprint. We have a blueprint today. Uh, for the church, don't we? We have a blueprint today for what we're going to talk about tonight. How can a lost person be saved? I would submit for your thinking, that's the greatest question anybody could ever ask. You know, people ask a lot of questions, don't they? Where do we come from? Why are we here? Where are we going? All legitimate questions. All questions that we can find the answer to in God's Word, incidentally. But the question before us tonight is how can a lost person be saved? Let's define some terms for a minute. What are we talking about when we say lost? Separated. Okay. You know, I've been, I won't say I've ever been lost in a physical sense. I've been misplaced a few times out in the woods hunting or hiking. I've been temporarily misplaced. Some of you ladies would say I was lost, but none of you men would agree to that. But I think we understand in the spiritual realm, lost is that condition of being separated from God. I think it also implies that you once were in a whole relationship. Okay. And, and Don says it also could imply that you were once in a, let's say, just for sake of argument, found. Because we, we, we associate lost as opposite of being found, Right. You were once in a found place, or you were once where you're supposed to be. <clears throat> okay. We know the example of Luke 15, don't we? Where Jesus talks about a lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost boy. We know how people were looking for those things. Um... But what's, what separates a person, or what makes a person lost? Sin. S-I-N. How do we know that? The Bible tells me so, right? Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. It's not, a paraphrase in there, it's not that God's ear can't hear, or He's not too far away to notice, but it says, your sin has separated you from God, 
and he will not hear. The nature of God is the, such that he is totally righteous. He does right all the time. He can't do anything that's not right. Because he's righteous, he can't tolerate disobedience. He can't tolerate transgression of the law that he has set forth. Okay? If he could or did or overlooked those things, he couldn't be God. Okay? I know that's a kind of a deep concept, but that's kind of the way we, we have to think about God. Um, it's one of the most important of all questions. It's a question that has implications not only here and now, but into eternity. A million years after you die, the answer to this question will still matter. But as important as, a question, as the question is, it is answered wrongly on a daily basis. Let's think about this for a minute. A person might ask five different people this question and receive five different answers. If we were talking about a less critical or crucial subject, that might be all right. If we were asking which football team is the greatest football team ever, we got five different answers, that would be okay. If we were asking who has the best hamburger at a fast food restaurant, we got five different answers, that'd be okay, wouldn't it? But there's no room for error on the question of our present discussion because the difference between a wrong answer and a right answer is the difference between heaven and hell. What we have to do is go to the Bible, the only source for the right answer to this question. What does the world say in response to this question? Hmm? One is as good as another, okay? What does uh, the majority of the religious mainstream say? Believe. Believe, okay? You know, nowadays we've got technology, and I thought just for kicks and giggles this afternoon, I would Google that question. So I Googled, what must I do to be saved? And it comes back, you know, with thousands of answers. The very, the very top answer that came back was to, some, it was to a church website, a denominational website, and it pointed me to Acts 16.31. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 16.31. Let's back up to 30. Let me tell you the context here if you don't already know it. Paul and Silas are in the inner prison in Philippi. Their hands and feet are in stocks, in chains. At midnight, they're singing hymns. There's a great earthquake that happens and everything's shaken loose. All the prisoners are able to escape. The jailer runs in thinking that everybody's escaped and he, because he was under penalty of death to keep those prisoners locked up, was going to kill himself. Paul said, do yourself no harm. We're all here. Verse 30 says, this is the jailer, brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Verse 31 so they said, this is Paul and Silas said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved in your house. All right, let's stop there. Now, if that's where the text ended, if that's where the account of the Philippian jailer ended, my Google answer would be right, wouldn't it? If there was no other example, no other command, no other scripture concerning what I must do to be saved other than that. One would be thought, would thought, 
be thinking that, well, all I got to do is believe. Carl, Carl has been, he's seen my notes, I think. He said, it's not just simple, it's sim- even, even this. If we take it at face value, just believe. Believe that, well, first of all, what would you believe? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I think if you did another st- deeper study, keep your fingers there for a moment and go to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to come back to this point, but I want to point out something to you. It's kind of going to serve as the basis for our discussion tonight. Hebrews chapter 11. We know this as the great faith chapter, don't we? Faith's Hall of Fame. Verse 1 there says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. That's the Genesis account, isn't it? We talked about that recently. Verse 4, By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying to his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. Verse 5, By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. If you'll go back in the Genesis account, it says he walked with God. Verse 6 is where I want us to start. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Him who? God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So we must believe, right? That God is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Does that mean just seek him every now and then? Or just kind of casually think about God? It means diligent. I think Bob's right. He says it, it, we're going to put some effort into it. It's going, to, it's going to be important to us. We're going to strive to find what God wants us to do. And we're going to be willing. We're going to have a, the humility of heart and mind that we're going to be willing to do whatever God says that we need to do. Okay? So back to the point of just believe. I think there's more than that to it, and the Bible, we can prove that from the Bible. You've heard me say before, belief is a package word. Yes, it's a mental, it's a mental thing that we believe, but when you, when you believe, you also do everything that's associated with whatever it is you're believing in. What does that mean? If I say I'm going to believe in Jesus, I'm going to walk in his steps, I'm going to follow his instructions, all right? What does Jesus say about what must I do to be saved? Can you say Mark 16, 16? Jesus in his own words He that believeth and is baptized will be saved. He that believes not will be condemned. Critics want to say, see there, he didn't say baptism twice. He only said it once. He didn't have to say it twice. When you believe, you're going to be baptized. If you don't believe, baptism has no impact on you, right? James 
Don brings up a good point. James, in his epistle, says even the demons believe, and because they believe, they tremble. But are they saved? No, because they won't, they won't do, they won't repent for one thing. They won't do those things that the Bible prescribes in order to be saved. I hope I'm not coming across too harsh on this, but I, it's, it's that important that people have an understanding of these things. It's that important. I know most of us in here are New Testament Christians. But one of the charges for us as Christians is to teach others. And as you know, there's a lot of misinformation in the religious world today about these things. It doesn't have to be that way. But unfortunately it is. God has made provision for our salvation. True or false? True, right? How about God's mercy? We could say mercy is not getting what we deserve, right? In the context of the spiritual realm, when we're separated from God in our sin... God's mercy is there so that we're just not, we're, we, just, we, we, we just don't disintegrate or whatever as soon as we sin. God's patient and long-suffering because of His mercy. How about His grace? We say that's unmerited favor, right? So God's mercy, God's grace. Number three, how about God's love? God loves us even though we are sinners. You know, I think it was Paul writing to the Romans maybe. I, look me up on this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Carl points out John 3.16, a very, very popular, very familiar passage. For God so loved the world that what? He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Okay? If you couple that with other scriptures that we have about salvation, you'll see that it's more than just belief. Incidentally, if you go back and study the context of John 3, what was going on at the beginning of that chapter? This man of the Jews, Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night, say, and I'm paraphrasing here, go, go check me out. Rabbi or teacher, we know that you are come from God because nobody else can do the things that you do unless God has sent him, or God's with him. What did Jesus say? Except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus thought, well, I'm a grown man. How can I enter my mother's womb and be born again? No, Jesus said no. Except you be born of the water and the Spirit, you cannot be in the kingdom of God. He was talking about what? Baptism. So, there he covered the, the concept of baptism. He didn't have to cover it again ten verses later. Okay? As Carl said earlier, if you don't believe, you're not going to be baptized. That's why we don't baptize babies. If you do get baptized and don't believe, or the other, do the other things, you're just going to get wet. Okay? Yep, he gave. Why should we think it's beyond, you know, it's wrong for us to have a believing action that God did? Don said, why would it be wrong, why would it be a wrong thing?
thinking concept that we, if we didn't have some action, if we didn't have to demonstrate our belief through some action, okay? God demonstrated His grace, His mercy, and His love through action, through sending His only begotten Son to die on a cross to shed His perfect, innocent blood so that we might have the hope of salvation. Yeah, we, God gave us the plan, right? God, God's grace was manifest through Jesus Christ. Okay? If you watch the Sunday morning class this week, talking about Noah, the Bible plainly says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. True or false? I would, I would also submit for our thinking that he found mercy and he found love. God gave him a plan in order to save himself and his family. Was God's grace involved? Absolutely yes. Was Noah's obedience involved in the saving of his house? Absolutely yes. I think I said it this way in the, on the video. If, if Noah had not followed God's instructions to the letter, gopher wood, pitch, all the dimensions, what would have happened to Noah and his family when the rain started? He would have been treading water with the rest of them. God's grace was there, but Noah didn't obey. So he... Right. Remember when thousands of people, children of Israel, died in the wilderness of snake bite because they, dis, they transgressed God's will. God's grace, His mercy and His love said, build a, a brass serpent and put it on a pole. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, obviously. Those that have bit, been bitten and look upon it will be saved. Okay? So they did that. Now, what would have happened if someone refused? I'm not looking at that snake on the pole. I'm not this or that. I don't believe in that. What's that got to do with curing snake bite? Is the attitude you can almost hear people, can't you? Well, they wouldn't have been saved. Noah and his wife and his children and, and his daughter-in-laws wouldn't have been saved. Yeah, Don brings up the example of Moses. Striking the rock instead of speaking to the rock. Many of us today would say, that's stupid. What's it matter? It mattered to God because that's not what he said. He said, speak to the rock. He said, he didn't say to strike it. Now, another place he said, strike it. But this time he said, speak to it. That shows us, and I hope it helps us to appreciate the specificity of God's commands. And I want to remind you that God gives us commands. I think it's a product of his grace and his mercy and his love because the things that he commands for us to do are for our good. They're not to do us harm. They're for our good. Okay? Questions or comments? All right. To the top of page 68 there. Being saved, our greatest need. In a spiritual sense... That's our greatest need. Because we can't save ourselves. There's nothing, there's no works of merit. We can't be good enough people. We can't pay enough money. We can't 
do enough good deeds. We can't be pretty enough or smart enough or fast enough or whatever enough. We've got to have God's grace, His mercy, and His love. As we, as we said back here in Hebrews 11, verse 6, without faith it's impossible to please God. Paul would tell us that we get faith through God's Word, Romans 10, 17. You've heard Bill Greer stand here in this very same spot many occasions and say, acting faith is saving faith. I believe that. The Bible tells us that. We've made mention of it already tonight, haven't we? Think of it in, a, in terms of a math equation. And I, I wasn't very good at math, didn't like it, still don't. Some people say, well, why did you get a degree, a degree in accounting? Isn't that math? No, that's just being able to keep numbers in line. But God's grace plus man's obedience equals salvation. Folks, in my simple way of thinking, that's, that's it. That's the equation. People want to argue with that. People want to say you can be saved by grace alone. People want to say you can be saved by faith alone. The Bible plainly says you can't be saved by faith alone. Faith alone doesn't get it. Grace alone doesn't get it. Yes, sir. Yeah, search the scriptures. Right, because the scriptures spoke of him. The scriptures pointed to him all the way back in, you know, in the Garden of Eden. Um, and if anybody should have recognized him as the Messiah, it should have been the Jewish leaders, but they had been so blinded by their own thoughts and their own ideas of what the Messiah would be, they couldn't see it. I know we're not getting very far into this into this material, but I hope that you'll take the time to read it for yourself. Being saved is our greatest need. Does this not mean that all of us who are, he says, does this not mean that all of us are in a hopeless situation? And he says, without Jesus, yes. But through Jesus, there is hope. Remember, Jesus came into the world to save sinners, to give us life, and he accomplished it by shedding his blood on the cross of Calvary. Through Jesus' blood, we can have our sins washed away and be reconciled to God. What does that word reconcile mean? It's an accounting term. It's a, maybe a math term. It means to, to bring together. To be, I like to think of it as make friends again. Okay. Reconcile to God. How do we do that? By following God's pattern found in His Word for salvation. debt has been paid. Christ once and for all shed his blood making that sacrifice appeasing God's wrath paying the debt that we that our sin caused. Okay. We oftentimes say the blood of Christ flowed backward from the cross and forward from the cross. Backward to cover all those who 
lived obediently to God's word, whatever that word was at the time they lived. If it was the patriarchal age, if it was the mosaical age, whatever God's instruction were, were at that time, if they lived in, in obedience with that, Christ, it was looking forward to the day Christ's blood would be shed to cover all those sins. Prophet, the prophet Joel was preaching that even, you know, several hundred years before Christ was even born. Okay. Look, looking forward to the time that those sins would be forgiven. And we say it goes forward from the cross, and that covers us. That covers those who are obedient to God's Word in this last dispensation, the Christian age. We won't take the time to get into it, but you know, many people say, well, what about the thief on the cross? Well, a couple of facts about the thief on the cross. He died before the church was in existence. He died before Christ died. Jesus himself said, the Lord has the, has the ability, the power to, to forgive sins. Okay? Carl says that's somebody looking for a loophole. Somebody that's already got a preconceived idea and they want to use that to say, see, you don't have to be baptized to be saved. How do we know that the thief on the cross wasn't baptized? What, what baptism was going on at that point in time? John. John's baptism. Yeah. The, the baptism of John. It says, what the scripture says, all of Judea went to John at the Jordan to be baptized. How many is all? I mean, if you want to argue, if you want to go to that great, if you want to split that many hairs to argue about that, well, we can argue. But I don't want to argue. I just want to point out some of the facts that people have overlooked. Hmm? Right. Christ had the power to forgive sins. The Son of Man has the power to forgive sins, right? He was still in power. He still had breath in his body, even though he was hanging on a cross. So, to me, that doesn't, doesn't hold water. But, again, I love to talk about that with people because it gives you an opportunity to point out some of the important scriptures, things for them to consider in that regard. That was the bell. So we're, we're going to need to wrap up pretty quick. Salvation. Is it conditional or unconditional? Conditional. What does that mean? It means it has conditions associated to it with it, doesn't it? But, but isn't it a free gift of God? It is a free gift from God. It is God's mercy and His grace and His love being poured out on us. But again... Think back to that math equation. God's grace, our obedience, brings salvation. Okay. We, you know, because we have, many of us have been in church for, since we can remember. We've heard, hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. We've had that drilled into us, haven't we? And I'm not saying that in a flippant, unnecessary manner disrespectful manner because that's what the Bible says doesn't it you know Acts the Acts of the Apostles there are at least ten real life examples of people being converted to Christianity in that book every one of them Or let me put it this way. None of those people were saved before they were baptized. If you want to do a study sometime, go back and find those accounts. 
Look at the Samaritans. Look at the Ethiopian eunuch or the Ethiopian nobleman. Look at the Philippian jailer we talked about tonight. Look at Cornelius. Look at Lydia. Look at the Corinthian people. And all those things. Look at look at look at Saul of Tarsus. Right. Ananias comes to him, Acts twenty two, sixteen. This is Paul recounting this event. It says, Why tarry why tarriest thou? Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sin. Here we go, Joel, calling on the name of the Lord. That's how you call on the name of the Lord, isn't it? Okay. Again, salvation is condi- conditional. We'll pause there. Thank you for your comments tonight. I would encourage you to study these things. Be ready to give an answer to these things to people you come in contact with. If you're using a hymn book and you would like to mark a song of encouragement at the time of the invitation, it's song number 714. 714. And prior to our prayer and our devotional and invitation thoughts, let's sing song number 669. 669. This is my Father's world. We'll sing all of this hymn. This is my Father's world, and to my listening ears, all nature sings, and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my Father's world, I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas, his hand the wonders wrought. 
This is my Father's world. The birds their carols raise, the morning light, the lily white, declare their Maker's praise. This is my Father's world. He shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. This is my Father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seem off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is King, let heaven ring. God reigns, let earth be glad. Let us pray. Father, we come before you tonight, giving thanks for this opportunity you've given us to come here at this place, sing these songs of praise, and hear another message and study your word, Father. Father, we're so grateful for your plan of salvation, the Bible, that shows us how to live and how you want us to live and to obey your word, Father, that we'll have hope that we could spend eternity with you, Father, if we follow that. Father, we wish the, the world would do more studying instead of believing what man says, that they would look deeper than they told. Father, we hope that we'd pray that we would look for opportunities to spread thy word to this this world, our neighbors, our country, our little town here, that we would look for opportunities and take advantage of them when we have them. Father, we pray for the leadership of our church at this time. We're thankful for these men that keeps us on the straight and narrow path, Father, because we know it is a straight and narrow path. There's no deviation from it, and we're, we're grateful for that again, that the Bible shows us that. Father, we pray for the young people grateful for them. We pray that they'd always look to you, Father, for, for guidance and how to live their lives, and their lives would be a lot happier. Father, at this time, we'd ask that you'd be with the sick of our number, if it be thy will, bring them back to a normal little bit of health that they might come back with us. Father, we pray for this ones that's going through suffering, pain, and all that, be thy will to help them, Father, to have some peace of mind. And we know they can if they believe in you, Father, and obey you. We, that we do have hope in this world for everlasting life with you, Father. We know we often fall short and sin against thy will, Father. We'd ask that this time you'd forgive us and give us the wisdom and the faith to restrain and to live for you, Father. Now, Father, we pray that you'd Go with us this coming week that we might obey you and live examples in front of the world as you would have us to. Christ, our name we pray. Amen. The song that Don has selected as the song of invitation tonight is entitled Trust and Obey. If you were in our uh, an auditorium class tonight, we talked about a, probably the most important question that anybody can a ask. A question that supersedes this physical world. A question that has eternal consequences. You might be wondering, well, what question is that? Question is, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Recognizing that, I, that sin in my life separates me from God, if that's not taken care of while I'm still here alive on this earth, it will separate me from God for eternity. 
But you know, God hasn't left us without an opportunity. Through his word, we see that he has made salvation possible. His grace, his mercy, his love has made it possible for us to be reconciled or made friends with him again. It involves some trust and it involves some obedience. We looked at Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 where the Hebrew writer there says, without faith it's impossible to please God because he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We talked about the significance of that word diligent. It's not just some casual seeking. It's some hard digging. It's putting forth some effort. Maybe shedding some tears. Looking seriously into God's word to find out what it takes for me to be free of my sin. To have my conscience clean of those things. Thankfully, again, God has provided our, for our salvation. But as we made mention of in the class, it can't happen without God's grace, but it also can't happen without our obedience. There's something we must do. Salvation is conditional, means it has conditions associated to it. It is a free gift of God, absolutely. But we must diligently seek Him. That means we're going to do whatever it takes to find out what God wants us to do. And we're going to do that once we find it out. I, I think of it in this way as well. God speaks through his word. Man hears. Man obeys. That's what brings the blessing that we want. In this context, brings salvation, doesn't it? But there's something we have to do. We talk about and we list out the steps of salvation, we say. And again, we don't say that in a disrespectful, flippant way. That's what the Bible says. We must hear the word. We must believe it. We must repent. That means a change of mind towards sin. It doesn't, it's more than just saying, I'm sorry. You know, many sports figures or prominent people today get caught in some sort of a scandal. They get up on television and cry and say, I'm sorry. And that's not repenting. That's part of it. But repenting is recognizing that that sin separates you from God and you want to do everything in your power not to do that again. It's a change of mind that results in a change of life. Finally, be baptized in water. That's where we meet the cleansing blood of Christ that takes away our sins. That's God has provided his grace and his mercy and his love through Jesus Christ. But we have to trust and we have to obey. Tonight, if you're here, not a child of God, would you not think about these things? Recognize the serious nature of the things that we talk about. If you want to study more, we're here ready and willing to study with you. If you've done those things in times past, but you've wandered away because of sin has taken your eye off the goal of heaven, you can be reconciled, made friends again with God. If you repent of those things, ask God to forgive you. He is faithful and just to do exactly that. If you're subject to the Lord's invitation, would you come as we stand and as we sing? When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who Trust and obey, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. But we never can prove the delight of his love until all on the altar we lay for the favor he shows 
and the joy he bestows are for those who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Trust and obey, then in fellowship sweet we will sit at his feet or we'll walk by his side in the way what he says we will do where he sends we will go never fear only trust and obey trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Please be seated. It's certainly good to see everybody tonight. Our number's off just a little bit. I know of several folks who are out of town and on vacation and other places. want to remember them and their travels and look forward to them being back uh, as soon as possible. Uh, by way of update to our sick, uh, we got a note today from Beverly Elliott indicating that uh, Don received good news from his recent CT scan, so we're happy to report that. We need to add uh, Jared Clayton. This is Hannah Danley's brother. He has shingles that have settled in his eye, and they are uh, concerned about that at this time and have asked for our prayers. So we want to remember Jared Clayton. He's visited here on a couple of occasions. Lives over in West Tennessee. Uh, any other updates concerning our sick? Okay. Continue to remember all those that we made mention of uh, Sunday. Frank, remember Frank Harris is having a difficult time right now and Billy, as she uh, waits on him. Uh, we want to remember them in our prayers as well. Um, by way of other announcements, um, remember the coin boxes that are back there on the table uh, for the Tennessee Children's Home. If you would take one of those and, and fill it up, it needs to be back here in Faith's office by November the 1st because they'll be coming and picking those up. Um, as many of you may have seen the news yesterday, the mayor has extended the mask mandate in Hamilton County. So as we are... Uh, Prudently following that advice here in this congregation, we'll continue to wear masks uh, for the near term as well, thinking that's the best opportunity op option for us to be able to be together as much as we are. If you have any questions about that, you can see one of the elders or me or, or anything like that. Any other announcements we need to make you aware of? If not, be back Sunday morning, Lord willing, 1030 our worship time together. Look forward to that. Let's be standing as we, Brother um, Don leads us in a closing prayer, and then Brother James Isom will have our, cl our closing song, and Brother James will have our closing prayer. If James wants to lead the song, I'll let him. <laughs> 708. 708. We'll sing the first and last verses. Walking in sunlight all of my journey Over the mountains, through the deep vale Jesus has said, I'll never forsake thee Promise divine that never can fail Heavenly sunlight, heavenly sunlight Flooding my soul with glory divine Hallelujah, I am rejoicing, singing his praises, Jesus is mine. In the bright sunlight, ever rejoicing, pressing my way to mansions above, singing his praises, gladly I'm walking, 
walking in sunlight, sunlight of love. Heavenly sunlight, heavenly sunlight, flooding my soul with glory divine. Alleluia, I am rejoicing, singing his praises, Jesus is mine. Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful to pause in midweek to come together to study in the portion of thy word. Father, we're so thankful for your word and help us always to follow your instructions. Father, we're thankful for your love and your grace toward us. Father, we thank you for the Saudi congregation, for the elders that looks over us. Father, we also thank you for our freedoms that we enjoy in this country. We pray we'll continue to be a free people, be with our leaders that we may enjoy this freedom. Father, we be with our policemen that enforces the laws and be with our servicemen that protects our country. Father, we often fail you, but please forgive us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You want me to leave one? Yeah, leave one. <laughs>